From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we look at Networks for School Improvement, or NSI, and a new workbook designed to help managers, school leaders, and other stakeholders improve teaching and learning in schools. We hope this work might provide some common language and understanding. We hope that those working within and alongside NSI might have an easier time connecting both intra-organizationally and inter-organizationally, particularly around some of the critical challenges they face in their work. We welcome Columbia University's Priscilla Wolstetter and the University of Michigan's Angela Lyle, two of five co-authors who spent years researching the workbook and crafting seven evidence-backed lessons for successful NSI management. So we had both interviews as well as observations of professional learning session. In doing this research, we really wanted to better understand how the NSIs were responding to the increased demands of recent shifts to more rigorous college and career-ready standards. Wolstetter and Lyle joined CPRI Knowledge Hub Managing Editor Keith Hugh Miller to discuss those lessons and some important takeaways for stakeholders across the country. So a core goal of this workbook is to provide readers with a deeper understanding of the varying strategies NSI use to support instructional improvement across a network of schools and to bring to the fore common lessons that NSI leaders have taken away from their experiences. That's right now on Research Minutes. Welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hugh Miller. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Priscilla Wallstetter, Distinguished Research Professor at Teachers College, Columbia University. Welcome, Penny. Thank you. And also with Angela Lyle, Postdoctoral Research Fellow at the University of Michigan. It's great to have you, Angela. Thanks for having me. So today, we're discussing your new workbook, co-authored with Megan Duff, Claire Flack, and Diane Massell titled Managing Networks for School Improvement, Seven Lessons from the Field. It was recently published through CPRI, and it's now available on Scholarly Commons, which is CPRI's open access repository available at CPRI.org. The workbook offers valuable insights and new information on the design and the work of Networks for School Improvement, or NSI. To start, for those who may not be familiar Penny, can you describe what NSI are and how they've expanded or evolved in recent years? What we know about networks is that they have a common central hub supporting a set of member schools. Think of a hub of a wheel and its spokes. By contrast, most schools and districts are set up in a hierarchy with the supervisor at the top. Consider the shape for example, of a pyramid in which supervisees report to supervisors. In NSI, schools are accountable to one another as well as to the hub. It's a flat organization in contrast to the pyramid. All the networks we studied focused on helping schools implement rigorous college and career-ready standards. The emphasis, therefore, was to help schools with curriculum and instructional supports. Some network hubs, like coaches, work directly with teachers and school leaders to develop instructional expertise. 
other network hubs were more like curriculum and assessment developers who focused on creating network-wide materials and tools to support instruction. So some of the supports are school-specific in NSI, while others are more network-wide. So what was it that led you to create this workbook? Were there pressing questions you were hoping to answer or knowledge gaps surrounding NSI that you were hoping to fill, Angela? Well, with NSI's expanding and evolving over time to play a central role in large-scale instructional reform efforts, we saw a need to leverage the innovative work that many of the NSIs do to support schools in implementing rigorous standards for college and career readiness. We wanted to focus on how different types of NSIs ones that vary along a range of dimensions, including structure, governance arrangement, market sector, and others, design for and support improvement in practice. And while some research on NSIs has focused on understanding network designs and how NSIs work with member schools, few studies have compared across a range of different NSI types to surface similarities in their work and to identify and understand critical differences across them. In diving deep into these networks and comparing across, we were better able to understand the core categories of work in which NSIs engage when supporting large-scale instructional improvement and standards implementation. We were also motivated to understand how different types of NSIs engage in this work differently and what contributes to those differences. So this workbook aims to capture those critical understandings That is, what does it mean to support a network of schools focused on instructional improvement? We sought to elevate the core features of this work identified across different NSI types, while also including meaningful differences in how their work is carried out. The overarching goal of this piece is to share our understandings with those who might be leading and managing networks of this sort, or for those working within or alongside NSIs. So the seven lessons that are described in this workbook, which we're going to discuss in a moment, were the result of years of study of a diverse sample of NSI organizations. Penny, could you give us a general overview of your approach to this work? In the guidebook, we focus on common lessons from the perspective of leaders across four different types of NSIs. One type of NSI is a local district or regional superintendent who support schools in a particular geographic area. The second type is a field support center, and they act as technical assistance centers to partner with regional superintendents to provide technical assistance to schools. So the central office can't do it all, and they set up regional field support centers. The third type of NSI is an affinity organization. The affinity organizations are independent nonprofit organizations that work under contract from the central district office to support a select group of district schools. So the affinity organizations are hired by the district to provide support to NSIs in different areas. And finally, the fourth type of NSI are charter management organizations or charter networks. And they operate outside the district, supporting their affiliated member schools. In doing this research, we really wanted to 
better understand how the NSIs were responding to the increased demands of recent shifts to more rigorous college and career-ready standards. The seven lessons that we'll discuss in a few minutes emerged from interviews with central office administrators overseeing the NSIs and staff working in network hubs. We also observe professional learning sessions provided by the hubs to their member or affiliated schools. So we had both interviews as well as observations of professional learning sessions. Our aim was to help improve teaching and learning in schools, networks, and districts. So your team, as you just mentioned, ultimately developed seven lessons, uh, which you say are aimed collectively at district leaders, principals, and network managers. We may not have the time to go into them all in depth, but could you maybe walk us through them a little bit, beginning with the first lesson, which you state is develop a clear and coherent instructional vision. Sure, Keith. What I've done is kind of tried to group the lessons into pairs to make it easier for the audience to see the connection among the different lessons. So the first, as you said, is develop a clear and coherent instructional vision. This is like the NSI team philosophy. In our sample, we had one affinity group that was focused on career and technical education. We had a CMO or charter management organization that stressed civic participation and a regional district superintendent and her member schools that emphasized writing in math instruction. So although the NSIs varied in their visions of high-quality curriculum, pedagogy, and educational outcomes, nearly all had core beliefs that were translated into specific supports, and those influenced the curriculum and lesson planning. So I kind of think of the NSI as a team, and they had team philosophies that everyone subscribed to. In addition to that, I'd pair that with the empower schools to make decisions. So at the same time, the network hubs were guided by the development of their education philosophy. Many network hubs sought to empower their member schools by deliberately granting them decision rights over matters related to goal setting, operations, curriculum use, and professional learning. So it's kind of what's held tight among the NSIs is the espoused educational philosophy, while member schools were at the same time granted authority to make decisions on their own, which created variability across the NSIs. This gave the sense that there was buy-in among the schools since they got to have decision rights that allowed them to develop their lesson planning and curriculum approach. All the SSIs in our sample valued adaptation and teacher-level decision-making to some degree. So you had this idea about the team philosophy being set and developed with the guidance of the hub, and then the school members of the NSI were able to exert control over particular curriculum and instructional areas. The third and fourth 
lessons concern creating two-way communication flow and the focus on continuous improvement. So the NSI team kept open dialogue flowing between the network hubs and their member schools. This was critical for the behavior of the NSI. The top-down kind of flow of information helped the hub disseminate messages about their instructional design to members. The bottom-up flow, on the other hand, helped network hubs learn about their members' needs and challenges faced by schools in order to better support them across the network. And the continuous improvement idea could only happen if the flow of information from the implementation site, that is the member schools, flowed directly to the network hub. And to varying degrees, all of our NSIs in the study viewed their supports to member schools as works in progress. So the hubs focused on continuous improvement and information is critical to continuous improvement. In order to accomplish this, the hubs used a variety of mechanisms to gather data and other evidence on the efficacy of their work as hubs. So to varying degrees, each network designed tools to acquire more regular and intermediate information, such as teacher and leader surveys, teacher and leader advisory groups. These were all ways for the hub to get information about what was happening at the school level. School site walkthroughs, instructional observations, formative assessments, and more. The NSI maturity seemed to affect the network ability to learn and improve. So as the networks matured, they were better at designing two-way communication flows, and they were better at figuring out what kinds of feedback were critical to instructional improvement. So your workbook, which can now be downloaded for free on Creative Commons, also includes opportunities for reflection, insightful quotes from interview subjects, and a lot more. Angela, I'm curious to know what, what kind of impact do you hope this workbook will have? So a core goal of this workbook is to provide readers with a deeper understanding of the varying strategies NSI use to support instructional improvement across a network of schools and to bring to the fore common lessons that NSI leaders have taken away from their experiences. We also identify and discuss some of the challenges and questions that NSI continue to face in their work. So given these goals, we designed this workbook with practitioners in mind. That is, those working within or alongside NSI. We see this workbook functioning as a tool those working within these networks can use to stimulate reflection and generate discourse around the challenging work of supporting large-scale instructional improvement. For each lesson, we've included a set of reflection questions readers might use to assess their organization's progress in the core areas identified here. We've featured insightful and flavorful quotes from participants that might stimulate conversation among colleagues around some of the central features of supporting instructional improvement. 
We envision those working with NNSIs using this guidebook with members of their networks, perhaps during a retreat or in the context of strategic planning, to facilitate self-reflection and dialogue around the network structures, goals, and priorities. We also hope this work might provide some common language and understanding around the complex work of designing for and supporting instructional improvement. In elevating some of this common language and understanding, we hope that those working within and alongside NSI might have an easier time connecting both intra-organizationally and inter-organizationally, particularly around some of the critical challenges they face in their work. So following your own work, Angela, uh, do you think there are opportunities in this realm for future research? Um, Is there more to learn about the design and administration of a successful NSI? Yes, I believe there are opportunities for future research. With NSIs expanding and evolving, we are likely to see more NSIs emerge to support networks of schools around instructional reform. In fact, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for instance, has launched the Networks for School Improvement Strategy, which supports interorganizational networks working together to improve teaching and learning. So the NSI space is populating. And this upward trend in the role of NSI in supporting instructional improvement suggests that, one, educational reformers, funders, and others view NSIs as a viable approach for supporting large-scale school reform, And two, it suggests that there will be many more types of NSIs and approaches to network-based instructional improvement from which researchers and others can learn about large-scale school reform efforts. Analytically, there is also more to learn about the design and administration of a successful NSI. Our study begins to capture what particular NSI designs look like and what the day-to-day work of supporting instructional improvement involves in these networks. However, there is more we need to know about what we've identified as the critical features of NSI designs. For instance, there are continued questions around how it is NSIs learn and improve over time. What processes do NSIs use to understand on-the-ground classroom-level practice? And how do NSIs leverage this knowledge in a way that improves their overall design for instruction and instructional improvement? More theoretically, work in this area would benefit from understanding and theorizing around the coordination and coherence across these core areas of work. For instance, we might begin to explore in what ways the core areas of work featured here are connected, reciprocal, and coupled. We hope to attend to some of these ongoing questions in future publications from the study, but we also hope other scholars will push forward in these areas as well. Well, this is incredibly insightful and valuable work, and I would encourage all of our listeners who are interested in learning more to download the full workbook. Again, it's titled Managing Networks for School Improvement, Seven Lessons from the Field, and it's available for free at uh, cpre.org. Priscilla Wolstetter and Andrea Lyle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to this series, visit us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub. <laughs>